are back. Buckets and Dan Sportsline, episode 33, the Sam Gash special. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't have him as a guest, but Sam's horseback riding yeah. right now. <laughs> the 33rd episode. Can't wait. A little mix up here, a little change up for everybody. We got some high school athletes on. We don't differentiate here in Buckets and Dan. Sports or sports, we got two studs on the episode today. Yeah, Roddy Gale, Louport basketball, all the West New York bas- basketball faithful know him. And just a couple weeks ago, he decided, he chose, because he had many, many scholarship offers, one of the best basketball players Western New York's seen in probably a decade. He went, he's going to Ohio State, and he talks about his decision with us, um, really what led him uh, down the path of playing basketball at a young age, and I thought it was a really good inter- interview. We also have Catherine Jacobia, senior, all-Western New York, um, three-year captain, Amherst Field Hockey, the Section B or Section 6 Class B champion. She comes on to talk about her season, the challenges that COVID brought, among other things. Another excellent interview. So, Dan, it's a little bit of a high school special this week. Yeah, she's also up for the Buffalo News Prep Talk Female Athlete of the Fall that we're going to keep pumping out. So if you're listening to this, please take your time. Go get some votes there. And what else we got, Bill? Well, Dan, we got some breaking news to Buckets and Dan. Brandon Bean signs a multi-year contract extension. Oh, my gosh. Bill, you gave me butterflies. Usually that happens when you walk in the room. It happens twice in one day. I can't tell you any numbers or anything. Can't tell you any numbers or anything, but that's breaking news to Buckets and Dan here late on a Thursday. So that fires me up. And I'll tell you this. Besides being signing it nothing fires you are just constantly scrolling twitter when we do this show you want i always love the breaking news you love a good breaking news well that's huge let's talk about that for a second it was only a matter of time i think it was inevitable once you locked mcdermott up there a package deal i think he certainly proved his worth oh my god since he got here turning around this culture you you see national writers you see analysts all the time and i know we cherry pick who we listen to and when in terms of when they praise buffalo but They're talking Buffalo being a model franchise. They're talking about guys like Dan Morgan and Joe. What's his last? Joe Shane. Joe Shane being plucked at the end of the year because our front office has done such a good job. It's a model organization right now, something that if you would have told me back when Russ Brandon was the GM, I would have laughed in your face. So it's nice that Ralph Wilson's up there smiling down at what he always wanted this organization to be, what it was in the 90s, and it is – it's a great time to be a Bills fan right now, and we will get to that game later on. We also have a Q&A. We, have, we also have a, a – it's a very big day in the O'Hare yeah, family. Yep, and I, I would be remiss if I did not talk about 32 years ago today. It had to be one heck of a party, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Mrs. and Mr. O'Hare, Mrs. Joan O'Hare, and Mr. Bill O'Hare Sr. tie the knot at the Millennium in Cheektowaga. Cheek to Vegas. Yeah, and that had to be one heck. I'll give you a little story, actually. I might have my facts wrong, but it's a quick enough and a good one. No one's going to know. Apparently, after the wedding, uh, I'm sure there was some sort of, you know, after party. And uh, no. <laughs> the next day, they have an early flight out to San Francisco. They're going to travel up and down California. And my dad said they were 100% going to miss the flight. And they were coming up on a red light to get to the airport. And the guy, the taxi driver is about to stop. And my dad's like, you're not stopping. Just kind of waved a little 20, 10 or yeah, probably $10 bill. That's about 50 now in his face. He says, you got to go. You got to go. Went right through the red light there. Got on the flight. Had a heck of a time. I think he traveled out. It was on a Sunday. He was watching the Bills home game from a hotel in San Francisco while all of his friends went to the game that next morning. Absolutely fantastic story. Congratulations to Mr. and Ms. Sohair, two of my favorite people, two of our favorite fans of the show, loyal listeners. So congratulations to you. And here's to 32 more, guys. Huh? How about 32 more? So let's, after that good news, I'm in a bit, boy, talk about back-to-back, just really great way to start the show. Let's, let's head to some Q&A. Question, what kind of bear is best? It's a ridiculous question. False. Black bear. Why are you the way that you are? What'd you do? Hey, what do you guys like better, nurse or cheerleader? All right, Bill, let's kick off some Q&A with our good friend Wyatt Jenkins down in the Bluegrass State, Kentucky. He wants to know, Buckets and Dan, loyal listener down here, what the heck's going up with my Wildcats and the Duke Blue Devils struggling to start the year? Yeah, I'll tell you here, uh, Wyatt. 
You got Kentucky. I believe they're one and three uh, with losses to Richmond, Kansas. And the big one, the weird one, was a 16-point loss to Georgia Tech, who were who was just beaten by none other than Rob Lanier, Jordan Glover, that Buffalo-bred staff at uh, Georgia State. We're Georgia State basketball people here, Georgia Southern football people here. You got to get that yeah, right. Absolutely. But about Kentucky, back to the question, they have one player who was on the roster last year. One player. Do you know how many total minutes that one player played? How many? One. Yeah, I think this is where <laughs> it comes down to all the stuff that they're not able to do with the COVID. Exactly. And I don't like Cal Perry before the stretch even started went on saying like it was basically. Kind of like a um, an abbreviated Mike Gundy rant. They're like, you come at me. I'm a man. Yeah. He was basically just ranting into a Zoom camera being like, and all these Kentucky fans, I don't want you to get mad at these boys. You get mad at me. I'm the one that scheduled this schedule. And so he kind of knew what was coming at a time. But the one I think is interesting is Duke, Bill. I, I agree. But it's a very similar situation, Dan. Uh, Duke, you know, traditionally, you always think Duke for your guys. That hasn't been the case in the last five, six years. That's a freshman-loaded team as well. They lost their whole backcourt from last year. So it's kind of the similar situation, but both teams I expect to be around in March, bearing that we have a season. Yeah, they lost their backcourt. Who was it, uh, Jason Williams and Battier finally? Tyus Jones. Yeah. Um, and what the thing about Duke is they also took down two powerhouses, so they're 2-2. Two and two. I mean, you don't just walk over Coppin State and Bellamere. And what I think is interesting <laughs> is they didn't even look like they belonged on the same court as Illinois the other day. And it's weird, first of all, we, I'm trying to get into college basketball big time this year, and the fact that the Big Ten is an electric conference is wild to me. I watched Iowa the other day. Garza. Got, uh, that dude's a man I've been watching him for And he years. looks like the definition of someone I'd hate at Cortland. Um, <laughs> yeah. And what, what it is funny that all of a sudden Coach K, now that they're 2-2 two and two and they dropped their only two meaningful games, he's a little concerned about playing during a pandemic, and he thinks oh, we should yeah. just shut it down. And I think that's a, that's a very veteran move by Coach K – to try to get this out before it gets real out of hand. But, yeah, they, they have not looked good in the two games I watched. Yeah, we got another question. This one's from Scotty in Nova Scotia. Oh, Scotty boy. Hey, Scotty wants to ask you, Dan. He's, he saw you, and nothing's confirmed as of yet. But the NHL's division alignment, it's extremely interesting. Well, they're doing it all based on ge geography. and um, So if you think about Buffalo's division this year, I'll read it out. I mean, it's it it's pretty wild. It's very, very difficult. In Buffalo's division, you got Boston, New Jersey, New York, New York Islanders, New York Rangers, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Washington. So, Dan, I mean, we don't have to spend all the time going over all the other. It I'm is interesting to say. Yeah, it, sorry, sorry. It's okay. There is, if you think all the Canadian teams, they're all in one division themselves, yeah, just worth great. saying. But, Dan, your, your overall outlook on this division for Buffalo. Well, I, I don't – the Canadian thing is going to be interesting because they're going to have to get real creative with scheduling because of you're literally going across the whole continent. So that'll be interesting. I, I don't know how the road trips are going to work or where they're going to stay or whatever, but Buffalo's division is a gauntlet, man. I mean, you take out New Jersey, and every one of these teams made the playoffs this, this past year. And I know the Island – or, excuse me, the Rangers snuck in as one of those last seeds, but they also have Panarin. They just drafted the number one overall pick. They have that goal that they're finally giving the full reins to, so they're an up-and-coming team. Then you have Boston, who finished first in the con tied for first in the in the conference. You have the Islanders, who were seventh and are always scrapping, always seem to beat the Sabres. You have Philadelphia, who was – fourth Pittsburgh who was fifth and Washington was third this stinks for the Sabres but so it'll be interesting it definitely gives me less hope that they'll make the playoffs but until anything's finalized no no reason to get all our panties in a bunch here so let's move on to our next question how about our good friend Aaron Aaron <laughs> from the Rocky Mountains wants to know if Josh Gordon, the weed man himself, 29 years old now, cannot stay off the weed, can he produce for the Seahawks? Tell me about Josh Gordon, Bill. Well, he he signed the contract before the season, hoping for reinstatement, and finally got it. He's back at the facility. He's allowed to play in Week 16. It's obviously worth questioning if he can have an impact on this team. He played in... He well, he started in five games, play or he started in one, played in five games for Seattle last year, um, in a split season between the Patriots and the Seahawks. 
He really hasn't had a very, very productive season. He's had, in 2013, 87 catches. I believe he's had about 91 catches since. So it's been a long time for Josh Gordon. I just wish, you know, it's going to be a hell of a 30 for 30 one day, but I just really wish he'd be coming into the league now with these relaxed policies because I've changed my tune on it. I'm starting to think, who cares? Like, why was this such a huge deal where he had to miss two seasons because Agreed. he's smoking marijuana? Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, it totally derailed the guy's career. And by all accounts, every single coach never has a bad thing to say about him. He just got a couple battles. He likes to smoke weed. I'm not, you know, pro-marijuana all the time, but to miss two seasons and pretty much Sometimes, be suspended your back end of your career, it's a little, you know, it's a little unfair, I'd say. So I hope for his sake he finds some peace and is able to help them win some games late in the season. Bill, our next Q&A comes from me. I can't believe that these contracts that – did I read this right? Now, I know the question is going to be about Paul George signing his – deal that extends him 190 extra million so it's 226 million overall did I read correctly that Jan, if he if Giannis stayed with the Bucks, it would be like 228 million dollars yeah it's all correct so is are those all guaranteed to I don't that is this, an unbelievable this amount George of money. signing is this I think this is an awful awful move from the Clippers and the number one reason why is what in the world is the rush to make this contract happen right now. They really caved into the pressure of Paul George and his agent because they had the leverage. They could have easily seen how this year played out. Maybe the revenue isn't what they've expected. Maybe the salary cap goes down. They have some more leverage to offer less money. Plus, Danny's going into his age 30 season. He looked like a shell of himself in the playoffs last year. I think it's a terrible move, and I think it's going to keep him bad for a few years. I mean, obviously, they're going to be contenders with Kawhi. They're going to have some star power. But long-term, that I don't like it at all. Yeah, I, I don't have much to say on it. I, I agree. I don't know what the rush was. And you saw in the play – well, I don't know. I guess he was playing hurt, too. You got two superstars. You can always build around two superstars. I, I would assume that's what the Clippers are thinking. Just The one thing I want to say is, which is just so crazy to me, a guy like Connor McDavid, the best player in the NHL, yep. signs for an earth-shattering, what was it, $97 million over what, how many years? I mean, this is just astronomical money that I don't see, especially in this day and age, in 2020, where we already know the NFL salary cap's going to be decreasing next year. The NHL, I can't believe, stayed flat. I think it's a terrible move. Why you're just throwing money out? It reminds me of like the mid-'90s when they got real dumb with their contracts. Yeah, but basketball is also, basketball is also one of those sports where you can just pay as much as you want and pay the luxury tax, and they got a ridiculously uh, wealthy owner and Steve Ballmer there. So, Bill, you know how I would define that Q&A segment? Average, but you know what's not average? This interview with first team All Western New York and current in the running for Buffalo News Prep Talk female fall athlete Catherine Jacobia. Here we go! Welcome on to the show, Catherine Jacobia, currently a semifinalist for the Buffalo News Prep Talk Female Athlete of the Fall. Catherine was a standout field hockey player for the Amherst Tigers. Her fourth year on varsity as a senior, she was the team MVP, first team All-CIC, first team All-Western New York, and led the Tigers to the Section 6 Class B title. Not to mention, folks, she also stars on the basketball court and softball diamond. Catherine, thank you so much for taking time for us today. Thank you for having me. So, Catherine, tell us how your love for sports and specifically field hockey developed. Was it a family thing or did you pick it up on your own? Uh, Well, growing up, I played softball since I was really little. And then when I got into middle school, I started field hockey because my older sister and mom played field hockey. Uh, My mom played in college and then my sister was on the JV team. And um, I don't know, I just really fell in love with the sport. And then I started working on the sport outside of school. I play for Western New York Whalers. And I just continued to uh, practice and practice and practice. (laughs) Catherine, your sister Elizabeth plays at William Smith. Um, She's, I think, going to be a junior there next year. 
Uh, you two played in yeah. the same program for a couple years. What type of influence did she have on you when she was a you know a junior and a senior and you were an up and comer in the program? Um, I definitely looked up to her for leadership and skills um, on and off the field. She was a role model for me. She was a role model for the whole team. My my freshman year, her senior year, we played on the varsity team together. And I think that it was a really big growing year for me. I watched a lot of their games, and I think it really helped me develop practicing with really good players. You played on the varsity team all four years and were a captain on the team since 10th grade. You won the Section 6 title alongside your sister when you were a freshman. She was a senior, I believe, but you didn't play much in the game. So, you know, I'm sure you took some lessons from that year and and seeing the joys of winning a, a championship and what that was like. Let's fast forward to last year, your junior season. The team was playing extremely well all year, and you ran into a really good and chippy Iroquois team in the section semifinals, losing to them in heartbreak fashion. How motivating was that law? You know, after that game, after, you know, the emotions went away and you are able to kind of, you know, um, I guess figure awesome. figure it out. Yeah, bounce back from the loss. How motivating was that? You know, as you kind of worked through the off season to get ready for what was your senior year. I think after that loss, uh, the whole team because we did have fourteen seniors this year, and most of them were in that game. Uh, we all just really wanted to work like the whole season, trying to make it further than we did last year because we didn't want the same outcome. Catherine, we talked to a high school basketball player on this show as well, and I can't imagine as a high school athlete trying to deal with all the stuff surrounding this pandemic. So how weird was it training up for this season? Was there a lot of uncertainty if you guys would even play and talk about, you know, playing? I don't know if you guys had to socially distance on the bench or what fans were allowed or if you had to wear masks. So talk about how different this year was in terms of that. Yeah, so our season normally starts in August with preseason, but this year it started mid-September due to corona, and it was really hard getting into it. We didn't have that much time to, you know, get in shape. We had to do that all on our own before we showed up, and then once we got there, we just had to start working as a team, working on skills. And for fans, each uh, member on the team was only allowed to have two fans, and, you know, that was really tough because it's our senior. 14 of our senior years and we all really wanted to have our friends and all of our family there and it was hard um dealing with that Mm -hmm. so field like you said it did happen in a condensed season this year again your team had a very strong season and you made it back to the only one loss in the regular season you make it back to the section semifinals playing Iroquois again, a rematch from the previous year. It gets to double overtime, and you score the winning goal to lead your team to the section championship. Talk about what that felt like. I mean, it was really exciting to feel like that victory after all of us worked so hard the whole season. It was like really a proud moment for all of us because the whole team was giving it all their whole game. They knew the whole game they knew that you know this was it if we didn't win and even when we did win we only would have one more game because um the states were canceled this year so we just wanted to go as far as we could and we were really happy with the outcome yeah and then talk about that championship game you go up against a really strong very well-known Williamsville East team um just talk about what that maybe week in preparation was like and you know what it felt like to after all that, the adversity and the difficulty and the uncertainty of not knowing if you'd have a season, having a shortened season, and it being your real your last hurrah as a captain, um, playing with some of your best friends, what that was like to, to win the championship? Yeah, so the first time we played Williamsville East, we lost in the regular season. And then come playoffs, we all knew it was going to be a really hard game. They're a really good team. They were one of our biggest competitors this season. We played their best against them because we knew we had to. And the bus ride to Williamsville East was, you could tell everyone was really tense and there were some nerves. But I think once we started warming up, we just knew that we had to make the game ours and we had to take control. And congrats to you. It was certainly an excellent season. 
a lot of accolades, team MVP, all Western New York, like Dan said earlier, all ECIC, all very well deserved. And you are a three-sport athlete, and I've always said this, and Dan agrees, it's, it's kind of a dying breed uh, in Western New York and really across the country. So what are, your, uh, what are your plans? What do you hope to do in your last six, seven months of your high school career? Are you hopeful to have a softball season, basketball season? What's the outlook right now? I'm hoping I get a basketball season in early spring and then a softball season in the spring. Um, we're not really sure how that's going to go now because school got pushed back even further. We're not going to go back until January 4th, they're saying now, but um, hopefully the basketball season starts shortly after. And Catherine, you actually have a younger sister who's a 7th grader, played JV in the program, hoping to keep the Jacobia Field Hockey dynasty strong in the Amherst Tiger program. How do you feel, what do you feel your role is to show her the ropes like your older sister showed you? I think that, you know, her coming to all of our games and just seeing the environment we're in and then seeing the outcome at the end of all the hard work, I think that she'll be really motivated to do it. And I think it's good. Like she can see me and Elizabeth and um, she'll be able to really work towards her goal in the end too, when she gets older. Catherine, do you have any set plans for college yet? Are you looking to play athletics at the next level? I am looking to play field hockey, uh, Division Three, most likely, but I'm not sure where yet. <laughs> oh, well, I'm funny you said that, Catherine, because we know a great D3 school in central New York <laughs> that would love to have you over at Cortland. <laughs> hey, Catherine, we, before we let you go, I know today um, in the Buffalo News Prep Talk polls, you made it past the quarterfinals for Female Fall Athlete of the Year. You're going to get into the semifinals here. How can our Buckets and Dan's loyal friends uh, log in and vote for you uh, to move on to the finals? Um, the next polling is on Monday, and it's just the Girls Prep Talk Athlete of the Fall. And it's going to be uh, – there's only two more, uh, like, polls in the thing, so – Great, and I mean, please vote for me if you can. Yeah, and between your hundreds of friends and our listeners, which tally up about eight, we should get you onto that next level and into the finals. So, we're gonna let you go, Catherine. Thank you so much for joining us, and congratulations on all your success so far. Thank you, thank you for having me. Alrighty then, Bill. We got the eleven and one Pittsburgh Steelers coming into town this Sunday. Sunday night football. Don't get me started on the fact that Al Michaels, this is one of his off weeks, so we get Tarico, which stinks. He's actually not bad. And I, I've been saying for weeks I really wanted the Steelers to come in undefeated, but they got tripped up last week by the Washington football team, and they have not looked great over the past four or five weeks. Their running game has really diminished, and we will get into that. They've also been – their chain has been yanked around by the NFL this whole year in terms of this COVID stuff. We'll get into that in a few minutes. We'll talk about injury reports. Let's talk about team history between the Bills and Steelers first. The Bills are, let's see, 10, excuse me, 16 and 10 all-time versus the Steelers. However, that can't be right. Oh, yeah, I guess it is. But until last year's playoff clinching win on Sunday Night Football in Pittsburgh, Steelers had won 10 of 11, including the 1996 divisional game that was the last, I think that the week before was the last Bills playoff win. And last year, obviously a huge win. Jordan Poyer seals it. They beat Duck Hodges, though. Not super impressive, but the defense really balled out that game. I remember Trey White had a big game. There's been some memorable games in this series. Obviously, we can talk about 2005 when the Bills lose 29-24, the last game of the regular season. We've talked about this, I think, every week in the playoffs, or excuse me, on this show because the Bills missed the playoffs that week, the Willie Parker game. All right. They also, one of, at least, out, let's, let me see, where were you for this game? Where were you for the Stevie Johnson drop in overtime? In my dorm at Cortland. I was, I was in a car with Maria Barton, Kelly Kyles, and somebody else on the way to, I must have been home that weekend, shocking, freshman year. 
on the way to Cortland because they went to Ithaca, so they just dropped me off on the way. And they were like, I don't really want to listen to this. I was like, please just put on the radio. So I was listening <laughs> on the radio when Murphy's all fired up screaming that he caught it, and he just screams he dropped it. Stevie then tweets out that it was God's fault he dropped it, which, of course, why wouldn't you? And that was, I think, on their way to starting the season 0-8, I believe. Yep. So those are some memorable ones. And Go ahead. Well, no, go ahead on the Steelers. I got one more memory to bring up. No, go ahead. Well, three years ago today was a memorable game. Dan, Dan and I were sitting together for the Snow Bowl against the uh, the Indianapolis Colts three three years ago today. That was a miserable afternoon, but it, that was you stuck it out. I didn't did. You? I did one of the few, which is shocking. One of the few Bills games I have stuck out. That was a fun memory. one. So the Bills don't have a great recent track record against the Steelers, which makes a lot of sense given just in general the franchises the past twenty years or so. But I got a good feeling about this one, and obviously the Bills are coming in riding that high off the Monday night game where Josh Allen had arguably the best game of his career. So it's great that we're rolling that right into another primetime game, give people a chance to see this game in action. Steelers are a little banged up. Steelers are banged up. They lost Bud Dupree for the year earlier. They, they lost Devin Bush yep, earlier week for the six. Year. They lost his backup this past week that we're Spillane. not sure. Yep, and he's been playing well, according to reports I've read out of Pittsburgh. They're, they're going to leave. They're gonna lean very heavily this week on Avery Williamson, and if you don't know who Avery Williamson is, he's seen the Bills twice already this year. Yeah. He didn't play in the opener, um, but he played in the second game against – the Bills. He was on the Jets for a long time. Missed all of last year. So, big time question marks on this defense. And then you look at Joe Hayden who's battling a concussion. He may not play as well. They are getting a couple guys back though. Uh, center Marquise Pouncey is supposed to come back. I think he just got activated off the COVID list as well as James Conner. But this is, an, this is a team, and I'll get to this later in my keys, that hasn't ran the ball well in the last six weeks. And also Chris Boswell, their kicker, is battling a hit. Yeah, I think that's significant, the fact that they had to go for it on that fourth and short the other day because their kicker is battling an injury, and they had that weird play the wheel route, which didn't work out at all. You also have Chase Claypool missing practice due to an illness, and I don't know what that's related to, if he is being held out because of COVID protocol or whatnot, but this team is deep. This team is deep. Um, before we get to – you know what, let's – yeah, before we get to the rest of our actual keys of the game, let's wrap up this past week's game versus San Francisco. So we are, we're doing a little out of order, but that's okay. Who cares? Again, we have like eight people listening right now. So, Bill, it was a game that it, – it, you know what? It was a weird feeling as you started off. It felt kind of like a playoff game with – I don't know, what, just because we're still not used to the Bills being on primetime, and hopefully we do get used to it over the next few years because of the success the team has. And they had to battle adversity right away. As after they miss on a fourth and goal, which again, if Lee Smith understood the aspect of being a tight end, he'd know to settle down in the zone where Allen put the ball, but whatever. Then they have to overcome the adversity of a horrible pass interference call on Levi Wallace that all of a sudden the, the 49ers start running it down our throats, get it all the way down to the goal line. We end up with a goal line stop on fourth and goal. Vernon Butler and Tremaine Edwins came up huge. Very next play, Zach Moss takes a fumble like my modified kids take a fumble. Running backs coach, Hannon. And he didn't play. Really and he didn't right. play the rest of the game, really. Dan, and how crazy was the first drive? Seeing single, well, obviously Beasley, Singletary, and then Moss all get hurt on the first drive. It was like, wow, these guys are playing physical. That's what it felt. That Maybe that's why it felt like a playoff atmosphere. It just seemed very physical. I don't know why I was so hyped up watching it. But they give up a touchdown on third and goal. So they actually stopped him two more times and finally give up a touchdown. And then the Bills just, they're, they seem different. You know what I mean? They, they're very confident in their offense. I think they're very confident in Josh Allen. And obviously, you can look at the banged-up 49ers, so maybe they knew ahead of time they had a good game plan to take to Robert Silo. But even when the Bills were all over that guy, they're still hyping him up as what a great head coach in Canada is. So we'll get to that later in your matchup. I was, just, I was very impressed from really start to finish. Even though it wasn't a completely clean game, it, it seemed like we were in control for like 95% of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Just getting to uh, one of my big keys was I wanted to see A.J. Klein play like A.J. Klein in the last four or five weeks with Milano coming back and thought he played fine. The big, you know, the big piece who really played an outstanding game, his best game of the season without question was Tremaine Edmonds. He was fantastic all over the field. Looked like the better of the two linebackers. Fred Warner gets a lot of credit as being one of the best middle linebackers in the league. It's taken in the third round in that 2018 draft, and Edmonds looked like the first rounder on Monday night, so that was really fun to see. My first key was get Diggs involved early. I hated that he had no catches in the first half versus the Chargers, and they did. 
No John Brown, but man, Gabe Davis continues to step up. They got to Diggs early and often, ended up with 10 for 92, had five catches at the half. That's what you need. He sets the tone. If you look at his catches per section on the field, he re- they really do seem to love going to him on their side of the field. Maybe it's you know in short yardage and he's just able to get open with his great routes. I don't know. It's, I think it's very interesting that out of his 92 catches on the year, or maybe 90 catches, 90-something catches, only six of them have come in the red zone. So I don't know if they're, if other teams are so focused on him. Like I remember versus the Rams, he had two catches in the red zone called back or two touchdowns called back to penalty. And then I think ended up scoring later in the game anyway. But I, I just find it interesting that they find a way to get pretty much everybody else the ball in the red zone but Diggs and the fact that Diggs doesn't seem bothered by that. Maybe he is behind the scenes, but you'd think a guy that loves the spotlight and wants people to know how impressive he is would care about that he only has, what, I think four touchdowns on the year, and I have over five and a half, so hopefully he gets a couple more these last two games. So I, I found that interesting that they don't really look for him in the red zone. And I got, well, and actually that one versus Arizona was probably outside the red zone, right? That was longer than Yeah. Him. He's got a lot of catches in yards, though. I think he's pretty happy right now. He's being targeted quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Um, my matchup was, you know, Sa- uh, why am I not? How do I not know how to pronounce his name? Sala. Sala. Against Dabble, Dable, <laughs> Dabble, Dable, uh, you know, two potential head coaches, and Dable certainly got the best of them. I thought it was his best game of the year. He schemed things absolutely perfectly. It was like a masterpiece, Dan, wasn't it? He really did, and, and I like that they kept showing examples of how plays in the past they've that he knew was on film, that they were running plays off that. You know what I mean? And actually, I, f- I saw another tweet that Capaccio put out that he stole from somebody, so sorry, I'm not crediting the original guy, that that play to McKenzie was one of the, probably like almost exactly like a play that Tyreek Hill scored on Sunday Night Football the week before. So it is funny. It's interesting how Dable has continued to just scheme things. He's watching other – I, I think he's been fantastic. I think we're losing him at the end of the year, so hopefully Ken Dorsey's taking notes. But I, I agree. I think it was he clearly got the best of Sela. But you're also down some pieces. But it, he, he should have gotten the best of him, and he did. I thought it was very impressive. I had, I thought Moster was going to have a game. That was why I had the Niners winning this game. And you know what? We got up early, or kind of. We, we just were able to throw the ball and be able to move the ball down mm-hmm. the field. We kind of got them out of their comfort zone of running, which we've been able to do that. That was one teams. of our keys, yeah. We could not – I. I was very, very nervous watching the first couple of drives. Raheem Mostert's one of the—he's one of the better backs in the league. He's very underrated, very fast and physical. Thought he'd have 100 plus yards. He had nine rushes for 42 yards, 86 yards. Um, the team had 86 yards, oh, 86 total rushing yards. They got to give Mostert the ball more, and they gave up on the run, which I understand because they were behind in the second half. But there, it was effective, and they stopped doing it. So. Kudos to the Bills. Yeah, they had half of the team total, over half the team total, I think, by yard in that first drive. So it was interesting that they gave up so early, but it's a passing league, and you, if you're Kyle Shanahan, you're up, like you're an offensive guru. You want to pass the ball. So I think he might have trusted Mullins a little too much. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see how good this team could be with a real quarterback. I don't even know if Garoppolo is that guy, but it is interesting. And I nailed my second key and bold take. Props to Dan. Get Allen on the move. I'm going to read it verbatim. Get Allen on the move. They have trouble containing quarterbacks, especially on third down. I think this bodes well for Beasley. Bodes well for Beasley? My goodness. Nine catches, 130 yards. Now holds the NFL record for most touchdowns for a guy 5'8 or shorter. That's a hilarious stat. He is literally always open. And if I would have known, Bill, that they were going against a backup slot corner, I would have put some serious quiche on his over or is over for catch totals but I did not know that he has been fantastic having a career another career year after having his career year last year my bold take was the Bills are going to get three interceptions so I guess I didn't nail it completely they only had two um, I said that Mullins thinks he's a gunslinger but isn't and one of the interceptions will seal the game and basically that Trey White interception did seal the game Micah Hyde um, also got a fortunate bounce so he got an interception it was a lot of fun to watch Bill it really was Bills win 34-24 garbage time touchdown at the end so really it was it was even a better win than the score indicates I think that the fourth quarter yardage that a lot of teams are putting up because the Bills are up is kind of deceiving to the defense's overall numbers. I think the defense is coming into form, and obviously this will be another good task. I think this game game versus Pittsburgh is going to be low scoring, but do you have any final thoughts on this San Francisco game? 
Uh, no, besides, I think going into the Pittsburgh game, I think it's a perfect test. You know, you're going up against, you know, you're going from a, playing against a young, inexperienced quarterback to a guy who's been around for a long, long time. I think you're going up against a totally different style of defense. It's going to be a huge test, and I'm excited. All right, let's get into our keys then. My first key of this Steelers-Bills game is, it's a pretty lame one, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a little bit because I know McDermott loves this stuff anyway. I'm going to say don't read into the press clippings. There's a reason every game Sean McDermott ends his post-game speeches with stay humble, stay hungry. You have the national media buzzing right now after that Bills win on the national stage. You have Isaiah McKenzie tweeting out, don't pick us to win now. So that you can see how this team kind of feeds off that disrespect and how, you know, keep Buffalo a secret and don't – don't don't think about us now, and you haven't thought about us all year. So I don't know how they can overlook a team that's eleven and one. So I, I don't foresee this being a problem. But I want their mentality to be like they're always the underdogs, they're always the ones trying to fight for respect. And I I hope they get that this week because you got you still have guys like oh they even they even beat anybody. They gotta really prove it against an AFC. And you know what was a, a not to go off on a tangent here a great line by Joe Marino on the Lockdown Bills podcast. He said. This regime and this year specifically, this team just keeps on checking boxes, which is such an awesome expression. Bills can't win a big game. They go beat Russell Wilson. Bills can't win on the national stage. They go win Monday Night Football. Bills can't beat a uh, powerhouse AFC team yet. This is their chance to do that. And I think that they got to stay stay solid, You know, keep the, you know, trust the process, as McDermott says, for four quarters, no matter the highs and lows of big plays that might, you know, lead off from a missed tackle or a bad penalty call just trust the process and I think we're going to be okay my first key is all about containing the blitz in the front seven of the Pittsburgh Steelers if you go back to last week the Niners really didn't blitz and if you think about what their bread and butter has been for years it's been their defensive line well they've certainly they've lost Solomon Thomas and Boza and DeForest Bunkner and all these different guys were they didn't have that same firepower. Well, this Boza week, and DeForest Bunkner, <laughs> right? I think it's Boza and Buckner, not yeah. Bunkner. <laughs> right, Remember that Bunkner, like Broderick <laughs> Bunkner, he got drafted to the Eagles from Florida State. Uh, but this team, this Pittsburgh team, is completely different. Even with the injuries, T.J. Watt, outside linebacker. Stephon Tuitt's really good. Gets a ton of interior pressure. Cameron Hayward's an All-Pro. They are going to bring it. Also, Tomlin is extremely smart. He's going to blitz safeties. Micah Fitzpatrick will be blitzing from the safety position, I think. But they're a very, very smart team. They're going to try and make Allen uncomfortable. The last thing that they're going to do is sit and watch tape of that game and think they're going to be able to play the same style defense. So you got to you got to be able to stop the blitz. Feliciano's questionable with an ankle and a knee. Ugh. If he's not playing, I'm I'm officially very nervous. If you watch the game on Monday night, the minute he left the game was the minute that Josh Allen became uncomfortable for a series or two or forever how long he was out. Because the minute Brian Winters came in the game, it was a completely different offensive line. And, sorry, Dan, but we forgot to mention, the offensive line did an absolute hell of a job yeah, they did. Monday night. How many times did Allen sit back in the pocket with yep. seconds to throw? So hopefully we could do the same thing this week. I have so many things to build off what you said. Number one, they finally moved Feliciano to the right like I've been asking for, and my guy Ike Botker came up. Thought he played well. He did play well. He's been playing well. Team, I guess, loves him. Another just an underdog story, whatnot. Uh, one thing you mentioned of Allen staying clean, how about when he did just get rocked when he didn't see it? Like, that's, a, that's like a 6'4 freak athlete. Coming at you full speed, not being blocked. How can you possibly stand up after that, let alone? And how about they're so confident in Josh Allen? I mentioned this. I think I was talking to Corey about this. If you're an offensive coordinator, your first of all, Dawkins looked like an idiot that he basically came in untouched because Dawkins just fell forward there. That guy comes in unblocked. Allen doesn't feel him, just gets crushed. What would you call the next play for an offensive coordinator? Watch out for the runner of the pass. No, you, you call a handoff. That could be, that's how confident there that this guy is just indestructible and how much he was feeling it and then he just led them to a score that drive anyway unbelievable I also want to say I think Fitzpatrick's more of like the center field guy but I'm sure they are going to be blitzing the whoever the strong safety is there and I, I think it's it is we haven't talked about it, I don't even think off air the fact that they're sitting Tyler Croft is is weird to me I I don't mind it I think Knox has been playing better however if you think about blitzing safeties think about how Jamal Adams made Knox look that game for Seattle he couldn't block a soul even though last year he was great at blocking one of the problem is and if you're going against this defensive line you better be ready for some big time Lee Smith staying in that to help out blocking as well it's gonna be another big Lee Smith game
My second key, extend. I know I've used this one in the past, but this one's going to be very important because it's a really it's a battle of strengths here. Buffalo still continues to put up extremely impressive numbers on third down offense. They're nearly 50%. I think they're 49.2% on third down, which is just insane if you think about it, especially compared to years past of these Bills offenses. And the Steelers have the fourth best, fourth best third down defense. Miami's actually number one. Fourth best at 36.1%. So it's going to be strength versus strength. If they can extend extend plays, extend drives, I think it's going to, again, what's the best The best defense? It's a great offense that can just keep the other team's offense off the field. So I think that'll be important to look at afterward. The Bills' third down efficiency. If you think about the Pittsburgh Steelers, traditionally a running team, the first six games of the season, they average 129.4 yards on the ground per game. The last six, it's totally totally disappeared they've averaged 55 and a half yards per game they get James Conner back after missing the last two I go back to the Niners game when when I was worried about this that they'd be able to run and we wouldn't be able to stop it they controlled time of possession I'm my only concern is if Pittsburgh can get comfortable running the football you know the last six games will tell us that they won't be able to and if they won't be able to I'll feel very good about an old Ben going up against you know a young Josh Allen so Hopefully we can just stop the run and make them throw the ball a ton of times. My bold take is going to lead right into my score. I think that because their kicker's banged up, I think they're going to be forced into field goal situations. I think the Steelers, and again, the Bills have had very poor field goal luck, unlike last year. I know this is something that Joe Marino brings up a lot. The only missed field goal on the year, I believe, unless San Francisco didn't miss any, so the only missed field goal on the year, I think, was Michael Badgley for... The Chargers. the Chargers, so teams are hitting at an astronomical rate on the Bills. I think the Steelers miss two field goals, and I think the Bills win 27-24, and that missed field goal is going to come on the last possession for the Steelers to tie it. So it's either going to be to, at, you know, when the clock hits zero, or the Bills are going to force a fourth down at some point late in the game, but they're going to miss a field goal, and the Bills are going to win 27-24. Wow. I got to quickly just retract the statement. I guess I don't want them to throw it all the time. <laughs> Because, you know, that usually leads to more points. But I just don't want them to run it successfully on the Bills, I guess, if that makes sense. Especially but with the weapons. They have four receivers exactly. deep. Eric E. Brown, you got Connor back out of the backfield. Yeah, Connor's and that kind of leads into my matchup. And that's a guy who struggled last week, and that's Levi Wallace against whoever they're going to put him up against. And I'm very curious to see how many corners do see action because if you think about the, uh, Pittsburgh with Washington, Claypool, Juju, and Deontay Johnson, and – like you just said, Ebron, they got a lot of weapons. So it's going to be a tough, tough game for our past defense. So you got to have Levi Wallace. It's got to be up for the test. And you're probably going to see some Norman, maybe some Dane Jackson. I don't know how this is going to work, if it's going to be different. I don't, I don't think you will see them because he definitely seemed to struggle last week and Norman and Jackson didn't see uh, yeah, I don't one know. snap. So I think they're – I think – and Corey made a good point. I hate that I'm bringing up Corey so much on the podcast. I think they're content with, listen, they're weak. There's 11 guys in the field. You're going to have a weak link. They have one weak link, and maybe they'll address in the offseason, whatever. But they, like, and Corey made a great point. I don't know if you heard it somewhere. He said, think about how Beasley abused their, you know, not great corner. Like, teams don't have Athens. a bunch of yeah, great no corners. One's, look at, no one's got a, there's no elite defenses right now. And if you, but if you were going to pick one, this is it. Pittsburgh's, like, top yeah. three in run DVOA and pass DVOA. So, It'll be interesting. My bold take, and it's bold, but I kind of remember this interception happening for all you diehard Bills fans. Milano kind of got one of those tipped passes against Oakland a couple years ago. It's going to look similar to that. Milano's going to have an interception. But you know Ben's like a dink and dunk guy right now. He throws these little five-yard passes with this low trajectory. So it's going to be a little bit of a shorter ball. He's going to throw a low tra trajectory pass. Leslie Frazier right now is preaching to all his defensive linemen to get, their, get your hands up because – it's possible to tip some passes. If you saw last week, um, sweat pass or sweat tipped a pass for he's doing a really good job for Washington. And Sweet name. Yeah, Montez Sweat and Bostic picked it. It's going to be similar. Milano's going to pick it, and that's going to seal the game for us, or it's going to happen earlier. Don't know, <laughs> but I will tell you that's going to happen, and it's 31-24 Buffalo. You can book it. Dude, if they get an interception from Milano off a tip pass line of scrimmage, I don't care where the point of game is. I'm driving me and you to the casino, and we're putting a lot of money on something because that would be an unbelievable prediction. 
Hopefully we're both right. Hopefully the Bills improve to 10-3 and three on the year. That would really put the world on notice. It would, and it would put the sec- the two-seed on notice because if you can beat Pittsburgh, there's really no one else that scares you the last three weeks. Pittsburgh's got, I think, Indy and Cleveland after us, so there's no reason to think that they couldn't be tripped up again. And Allen for MVP because I'm going to say one other thing. Will, you can't look at Russell Wilson right no, now and say he's MVP. Race. I think it's Wilson and it's Rodgers and Mahomes. I think I think I think right now it's actually Rodgers then Mahomes then Allen. I think it's it's one two right there and I would say a distant third. So huge game from Allen this week. He gets himself yeah, right up in that absolutely, conversation. Absolutely, especially against Pittsburgh. So now let's send it over to another great interview we have. Lou Port, current excuse me, current Lou Port Lancer and future Ohio State Buckeye Roddy Gale. Here we go. This interview is brought to you by Arista Networks. Arista Networks is an industry leader in campus, Wi-Fi, data center, and cloud computing. Learn more about Arista at arista.com. Everybody get up, it's time to slam now. We got a real jam going down. Welcome to the Space Jam. Here's your chance, do your dance at the Space Jam. All right. All right. Welcome on current Lou Port Lancer varsity guard and future Ohio State Buckeye, Roddy Gale. Roddy, I know how busy you are with school and workouts, so thanks for making time to hop on Buckets and Dan today. Yeah, no problem. Roddy, when I first met you, it was in the 7th and 8th grade Blessed Sacrament Basketball League where I, Jim Doyle, one of my friends, and I helped out our other friend, Zach Boley. And I remember one day I walked into practice and Zach looked at me with the biggest smile on his face and said, we have this new kid on our team. Wait till you see him play. So I'm like, all right, whatever. So I watch this new kid play and he's dominating. And then Zach says, guess what, guess what grade he's in? I said, I don't know. He goes, fifth grade. So needless to say, Roddy, you didn't last long in that league. You had bigger aspirations. So I want to know, when did you realize that you could become a basketball prodigy? Where did the love for the game come from, and when did you realize this is something you could take to the next level? Oh, my God, man. You you just brought back some memories. Uh, (laughs) But when I started, I had my growth spurt. It was about my my eighth grade year. That's when I knew, like, that I can – can be special because like growing up I was kind of like you know I was kind of short until I hit my growth spurt during my summer so I thought like maybe with a, with a little bit of size on me like I can be a problem and my big cousin Eric may he rest in peace he's the one that he, he put the basketball in my hands and you know he had his his son and we used to always work out together his son was was probably like maybe four years older than me so everything I everything he had to do I had to do also so I think that just that just helped build my game. Hey, Roddy, Buckets here. You grew up in the Niagara Falls area, um, and a lot of players who are very, very talented in this day and age get, get scooped up by private schools. Was there ever that influence, um, or maybe to stay with Niagara Falls? Uh, what really led you to Louport? Uh, I would say, like, private schools and prep schools, uh, is, like, they still call you know, but I never felt the need to, to actually go to one because I felt like during the summer I, I get my exposure and play against some of the talent, like, during the summertime. So I didn't really think it was a necessity for me to to leave my home and, you know, leave my family, and I wasn't ready to do it, so I never did it. But what led me to Loopport is I didn't I, I didn't want to go too far away. So, like, Loopport is probably 15 minutes away from my home. So it's like I wasn't too far away, but, yet yeah, I was – you know, trying new things. Roddy, I want to ask you about um, the documentary that recently came out, uh, maybe a little bit over uh, called The Falls. I thought it was awesome. Um, I just want to know how that all came about and what it was like to be in something like that. Actually, like, it was it was random. Like, the Mars Wheels guys, like, they they just hit us up on, on Instagram and asked if they, if they could do a story, you know. Like I was, I was down from the jump. You know, we tried to get as many, many like things that we could. Like you know, me, Jalen, and Willie. He uh, tried to add Johnny, uh, Paul, and it was great, especially for the city because not too many people even know where Niagara Falls, Buffalo is at. So I felt like, you know, it was a great way to you know put the the Western New York on the map. 
do you still stay in contact with Willie Lightfoot and Jalen Bradbury? I know Jalen stayed local, but are you, do you guys are you, do you consider yourself friends, or did that whole breaking up kind of split you guys up personally too? No, never. Me, Jalen, and Willie have been friends since we were like five years old, and we've been playing together since then as well. So, like, I keep in touch with those guys every day. It's like a brotherhood with us now. So it's like not even my friends anymore; those are my brothers. So you you mentioned how you do decide on Louport, and Louport's always had a good reputation around Western New York, but you really take it to the next level along with guys like Jalen Duff, and I've never, and I feel bad, I don't know their names, but the role players you've built around those two the past two years have been very impressive as well, Starks as well, and it all comes at the leadership of Coach Bradshaw. Now, I, for one, will never criticize Coach Bradshaw's loud, I guess, antics on the court because I don't know if anyone's ever seen me coach because I am just the same way. So I want to know, I would assume sometimes it's tough for it's not many, not every player respond to a coach like that. So I want to know your relationship with Coach Bradshaw and how would you describe him as a coach? Oh, my God. My Coach Bradshaw, a coach, he's, he's a lunatic. He's crazy. Like one minute <laughs> – one week we could be arguing, you know, we won't talk to each other, and then the next week we're in the gym going after him. I'm like, he's he's crazy, man. But I, what I was, what I learned early on was that don't listen to the the tone, listen to the message. So he could be screaming at your head, you know, but he's not telling you anything wrong. So I just feel like you just gotta listen to what he's saying instead of listening to how loud he's saying. It. That is fantastic. I'm going to start saying that to parents that complain about the way I yell at players. Don't listen <laughs> to the tone, listen to the message. That's a very mature statement. So you met, So we mentioned that you don't go the private school route. Do you feel that you've gotten the same high school basketball experience playing in public schools and the, the level of play going against the falls? And actually, I want to know, what is it like going into Niagara Falls and playing? Is there any animosity from the fans? I know they'd obviously love to have you on their team. So is that kind of like your rival? Uh, I wouldn't call it my rival because, like, like that's where I'm from. You know, it's not like they hate me or anything. It's just all love mm-hmm. and all passion for their team. But I feel like, you know, like when it, when we played them, like it was a lot of of talking. Like they were saying, like, you know, like I suck. I wasn't gonna do this. I wasn't gonna do that. But then after the game, you know, it was all over. Yep. Like, we were all cool. You leave it on the court. So, like, I, I don't feel like it, it was like permanent. It was just like on the court. And like I, you know, I'm for all that. Like I, I like them those intense games, and you know, I I, I want more. Hey, Roddy. Uh, you know, we we try and keep it PG on this show, so I'm gonna start by just saying, gosh darn it, I'm so upset that this year, you know, might not, you know, really happen in a full season form. Really wish we could all see you play as the senior, and I know it's certainly, a, you know, it's probably hurt you as well. Um, but I want to know why Ohio State, you've been touted, you know, as a very, very high recruit for a few years now. What made you fall in love with Ohio State? Uh, what I loved about Ohio State was the relationship I had with the coaches. Like, uh, I, I talked to Coach Deaver every day. I talked to Coach Holman every day. And then those same guys, I talked to all the staff members, Coach Terry, all of them, Coach. We, and then they, they – kept in touch with everyone I was in touch with. So they, like, whenever I would go down to New Jersey to go play basketball, like, they kept in contact with them. They kept in contact with my AU coaches. You know, it doesn't matter if I was on my new team or my old team, they kept in contact with both of them, my parents, my high school coaches. Like, and that's what I think that that's what I felt I felt was special. And, like, that's why, I, like, I knew that wherever I made my decision was, it was going to be where I felt, like, home. Roddy Buckets mentioned, and everybody knows, how difficult these past months have been, especially to high school athletes your age. How have you been coping with it? I'm assuming you're a gym rat and you're struggling to find time. I'm sure a bunch of your AEU tournaments got canceled. So how have you been persevering both physically and mentally? Uh, you know, I, much free, the only free time I get is at night. So we, we, I try to stay in the gym as often as possible, whether it's in the weight room or – you know, in the gym getting up shots. I, I don't like to have free time. I hate to have free time. Like, I always got to be busy. I like that. It's a sign of a good athlete. And 
We just have a few more questions for you, Roddy, then we'll let you go. I want to know if you can, if you look at yourself, Roddy Gale, in the mirror, and you, or you're watching tape on Roddy Gale, what do you consider your greatest strength as a player, and what is something you need to improve on if you want to earn a spot in the rotation at the next level? Uh, I feel like, personally, I do a great job of distributing the basketball. Like, I'm very unselfish, and I can, at times, you know, I can score the ball at will. So I think that's what definitely will set me aside from everybody else. I also am a pretty good defender, you know, when it comes down to it. And I can do whatever the whatever the coach wants me to do. I think I'm very adaptable. What I think I need to work on personally is just, like, my endurance, my stamina, you know, building, putting on more muscle. Uh, I think, like, that's – and that's what we've been doing, like, over this, this quarantine break or whatever you want to call it. So I think, like – in the near future, like I, I'll be where I want to be. Rowdy, as a coach, I think what separates you from other good players around the area is – I remember specifically one time at Ken Maurice last year, you threw a pass on a rope from right in front of our bench to a teammate in the paint without looking, and I, let alone having the vision, but the power to get it there was super impressive. And you are also two-hand dunking right in front of our student section and whatnot, but I'd say that pass is the most impressive. So how – I guess my question off that would be in a in an era where everybody wants to light up the scoreboard and knowing that you can light up the scoreboard really whenever you want, how important is it to distribute the rest of, excuse me, distribute the ball and get the rest of your teammates involved if you guys do want to go deep into sectional runs? Uh like I realized like I've been on a team where like like during AAU, like growing up I wasn't the best player all the time, so like like, there would be the, the player who gets all the shots, who get all the touches, mm-hmm. who get the ball all the time. And I know from experience that that's not fun. So, like, I just want to make the game fun for everybody else by, you know, giving them touches, seeing the, the smile on their face. Like, that that makes the game a lot fun. And that builds chemistry. That builds trust. And I believe that's why we were able to go so deep in the playoffs that year. Roddy, I want to kind of bring it back. I got a couple questions to um, to ask you. Uh, one of the people who was highlighted in that documentary was your father. And I'm, I've seen him around Western New York. Uh, talk about the influence or the type of role model he's been for you from a young age and, and in general, your family. Uh, my dad is my best friend and my biggest critic. Like, there's never, never a dull moment between us. Like, we can argue for, on car rides home, car rides there. <laughs> and it's just, I know that it's just all love for me for well, love, all love towards me, and like he, he always like never congratulates me. It's always something that needs to be done that I could be done better. Like after every game, there's a film session. We watch the game that we just played right after, and uh, you know I really appreciate that because he, you know, he raised me to be the man that I am, and I'm very proud. I want to ask you if you have a relationship at all with Paul Harris or Johnny Flynn or Greg Gamble or any of those guys from those early 2000s Niagara Falls teams. Uh, I was working out with Johnny Flynn uh, about a few years back. Uh, and I haven't, I haven't heard from him since, but like Johnny's a cool dude. Like I, I love his, his demeanor and his personality. Uh, that the day we met, the day we made the, the that Falls documentary, that was the that was my first time ever meeting Paul Harris, like that I know of. And you know, they like growing up, you would hear stories about Paul being a bad guy, going to casinos, not showing up to practice and stuff. But then just to show that how much you've changed, like since since that since from college until now, like. It was great, just you know, like that's the type of role model you should look up to, like as a kid or as growing up. So it was great, just you know, just to hear his how he talks and what he thinks, like, and how he was able to transform his life. Yeah, and you guys are both from the same area, and Niagara Falls to me. I mean, you know it way more than I do, but I just look at it as such a unique and interesting place, and it's really highlighted in that documentary. Um, there's, you know, obviously struggles there. Um, for a lot of people talk about the type, you know, honestly, I want to know how much pride you have coming from Niagara Falls. And as you go to Ohio state, is that just something that, what does Niagara Falls mean to you? Uh, I carry the 716 strong on my back because I feel like, you know, like growing up, there wasn't 
really much for us to do. Like, if you, I feel like if you're not in sports, then you're on the streets, like doing whatever. Like, because I feel like, you know, there's nothing around here for us. So like, there's no, no recreational centers, no YMCA's, no boys like the Boys and Girls Club is off and on. So it's like, like the kids that's growing up and the youth, they don't really have anything to do. So, I mean, like, they they just go straight. But they're not gonna stay focused in school, so uh, they they go straight to the streets, and uh, I don't like that. So what I want to do is, once I once I do go for myself, I want to give back to the community. That is an unbelievable mentality to have at such a young age. I actually have one more basketball question, then a fun question to end. In the past couple of years, since with Luport surge and being one of the best teams in the area. Have there ever been specific players that stick out that you remember being most excited to match up against, or maybe gyms you're most excited to enter? Oh my God, uh, I love playing Willie Lightfoot. I love him. Mm-hmm. I love playing Willie. Just the intensity he brings is like it's like a battery in his whole team back. Because there's no matter if if you're having a bad game with a guy like Willie Lightfoot picking everybody up full court, screaming at the crowd, screaming at the other team. Like that's that, that keeps you going. That, that puts a drive in your back. It gives you an extra energy boost, so you go and play every day. I even had a chance to play. I played with him all my life, so I know how that feels. Mm-hmm. So playing against him was just amazing. Like I, that was a moment I cherished both times. And my last question: This is what the fans of Buckets and Dan really want to know, Roddy. We enter a gym, us three, and Buckets and I face you. Take back up to 11, twos and ones. What's the final score and who wins? Roddy, you got to know what my nickname is here. Yeah, they, they, call, they, they call them buckets, but I, I – you No, you, no buckets on me. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah, but how about two on one? Yeah, all they got all I got to do is – listen, I've seen you. I, I could throw you around in the post, and then I just kick it out to buckets, and then we're just banging threes right in your face. <laughs> Don't all I gotta say is don't miss one. Oh, yeah, I can't tell you how confident everything I just said would not happen if we played two on one. Well, Rowdy, that'll wrap it up. We really appreciate you taking time out of your day for us, and best of luck in the future. Okay, hopefully there's a season. Hopefully we get to see you light it up on the court this year. Yes, sir. Thank you. All righty then. All right, Dan. Uh, hopefully all your teams are out in the in the playoffs right now. Dan had. The world given to him in our Red Dragon, Cortland Red Dragon League, and he still finished toward the bottom. Dan, I mean, I love you as a man, but you are a terrible fantasy. I snuck into the playoffs, and so Dan, he didn't even say it. He, he revoked his own right to give everyone the fantasy fling. I will say last week he had Mike Williams, had four four catches, 33 yards. I've been on a cold streak. I had Kyle Rudolph. He had zero catches for zero yards. But I'm going to stay to it. I'm going to stay blue-collar. I'm going for the backup tight end. The guy that you need this week is Dalton Schultz, and, and he's going up against Cincinnati. So we're going to see what he can do. Um, so that's my fantasy fling of the week, and that's brought to you by Buffalo Boutique Boards, proudly serving Erie County still under these, you know, it's all happening right now, vaccinations, uh, whatever you want to call it. The, the world's a crazy place, but one thing that stays constant in all of our lives in western New York is is meat and cheese, and that's brought to you by Buffalo <laughs> Boutique Boards. So I'll say one other thing. Here, Dan, what you don't got a you don't got a fantasy flame. I know what. That's not how we end the Buffalo Boutique Boards. Oh, uh, well, you, but y'all got to know that you can put, put on, on the board. The board. Yes. yes. And that's brought to you by Buffalo Boutique Boards. So getting into our NFL games to watch, Dan. I got two. All right, I got two, and I got Niners against the Skins. Uh, I can't call them the Skins anymore. Got to call them the team. <laughs> I got the Niners against the team, and, you know, two interesting teams. I still think San Fran's a good team. I think Washington's coming on. They're very, very interesting to watch right now. Obviously a big win against Pittsburgh. And it's the Alex Smith revenge game. And man, oh, man, is he the runaway (laughs) uh, comeback player of the year. My second matchup is Tampa Bay and Minnesota. Brady coming off a bye week in his career. He's 14-4. and You know, the the GOATs, they're able to kind of study the film and not go on vacation uh, Barbados, you know, on their bye weeks. He's probably been studying film, locked himself up, and just the occasional Instagram post and uh, a lot of film. But you got their their run defense is very good, and Minnesota runs it better than any other team, so it's a kind of a matchup strength on strength. Minnesota, you know, you've been hating on them. They still won five out of the last six, and they're still going to make the playoffs. I'm standing by that, as shaky as they've looked. You also have Browns. 
hosting Baltimore on Monday night. That has a lot of playoff implications. It's, it's a good week of football. You have the Raiders hosting the Colts, and I do have a little kick hot sauce hot take of the week. You want something spicy, Bill? Yep. The Jets get their first win of the year at Seattle this week. Seattle looked like dog crap last week. Jets are coming on a little bit. They're going to be fired up after the Greg Williams firing because he's such a – just a, the worst. And so I think the Jets get their first win of the year, which the Jacksonville loses, and now Jacksonville is in the running for the top. So does that lead me to say, can the AFC East go 4-0 and this year, Dan? Because I got a bold prediction for you, and it could be my little kick hot take of the week. Miami's going to beat Kansas City this weekend. Wow. That's real bold, but I think it's going to happen – and that leads us to our Thursday night prediction, Dan, the fourth AFC East team to talk about. The Patriots going up against the Rams. I, I think it's a total toss-up, and I wouldn't watch it, but, man, it's such an intriguing coaching battle between the old legend in Belichick and a guy he only sees once after he had four years, unless they're in the Super Bowl, which did happen two years ago, and Sean McVay. Bill, I, I like for, before I get this, I like to consider myself an optimist. And obviously this pandemic and this COVID stuff, it, it's horrible. There's There's just... Millions of deaths and sickness, and, and I, I hate that, obviously. But if you look at some things that have come out of it, okay, like, a po- I guess, some a very, very tiny positive. Football being on every night has been unbelievable the past two yeah. weeks. And that's a problematic take, and I get that. But if I am going to look at it in a positive light, we're going two games Monday, game Tuesday, game Thursday, loaded stack Sunday with the Bills on Sunday night. This ain't bad. This ain't bad in terms of football watching. But I, I think the Rams – I want the Rams to win just to bury any hope that the Patriots have in the playoffs. I, it's so funny hearing these Boston people talk, thinking like it's – well, first of all, it's a very familiar conversation. Like, well, you know, if we win out and we just get a, couple, a little help here, that is every Buffalo Bills fan from about 2003 <laughs> to 2016. So I, I want them to get buried, and I want them dead. New England wins. New England wins in a low-scoring affair. I think 17-14. Here's why. Belichick's a mastermind. Goff is so overrated, it's not even funny. He's only good when he's comfortable in the pocket. He's only comfortable when he can hit all of his timing routes and everything like that. And Belichick in that defense will make sure that's not able to happen. And on the other side of things, it's just going to be a low-scoring game because the Rams are the best team in the NFL at preventing big plays, and the Patriots are the best at not having big plays. So it's going to be a low-scoring game, but I'm going to trust the defense, and I think New England is going to... Listen, they're going to make it a little bit uncomfortable for everyone in the AFC East. Rams 31, Patriots 18. Patriots 17, Rams 13. Oh, God, I hope that's a horrible game. Kind of like the Super Bowl. We want to thank our guests, Catherine Jacobia and Roddy Gale. We want to thank Buffalo 716 for letting us be a partner podcast and obviously Buffalo Fanatics for being a contributor. And that'll do it. So... First of all, I would like to again wish Mr. and Mrs. O'Hare a happy 32nd anniversary, and I'd like to tell my own mother that I love her even though she never listens to these, but hopefully someday she'll look back and listen. I know.